Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times. With the latest WWE edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, getting over is back once again, just over 48 hours removed from WWE Fastlane. And if you happen to miss our instant analysis of that premium live event, it is in your podcast feed right now. So be sure not to miss that. But we are here, as I said, just over two days later to break down everything else that has happened in the week of WWE. Not only will we be covering some fallout from Fastlane, our second look of sorts, at the premium live event that went down this past Saturday. There is some stuff still to recap from SmackDown on Friday night. And of course, we have three hours of Monday Night Raw to break down for you, as well as a pretty big news item uh, that found itself in the headlines on Monday that we're going to dissect a little bit before we get into the three big segments on today's show that I know all of you know and love so much. As we get into this show, allow me to kick it off with the reminders, of course, first, that the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast is all about Defy. So please, folks. Stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark for me. Go back to being marks for the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, Vintage Chris Vanini, and the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. Please visit Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave those five-star ratings on Apple. If you take a little extra time and leave a five-star written review, we will read it live right here on the show. Now, normally... I do not make exceptions for people who go in and edit their reviews just to try to get on the air a couple different times. However, I will say Joe from Tom's River updated his review. I remember it was very short to begin. He left a much longer one this time. I felt it was worth rereading or I guess updating his review live on the show because he did take the time to do it. But folks, this will not be a trend. No cheating. I see the number of reviews and I will only read ones that are new. However, from Joe... He called us the cream of the crop, which obviously Macho Man reference. Love that. Five stars. I've been listening to wrestling-related talk shows, terrestrial radio, internet radio podcasts for over 25 years. These guys really have something here. There's no agenda or tribalism, and the hosts have common sense. It's obvious that they're not trapped within the IWC bubble, and they're not part of the echo chamber. It's so refreshing to hear intelligent analysis presented with a sense of humor and a love of the product done in a structured and consistent format. The reason I read that is because it is what we try to achieve. So the fact that someone recognized that, we appreciated it. And Joe, I acknowledge you. Acknowledge. Acknowledge. Big acknowledgement right there. Acknowledge. But you're not getting another one unless you bring a sign to a show or something like that. That's two. That's the maximum we do here at the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. We need to get some others in. But folks, there is no limit to the number of you who can submit five-star written reviews and get read on the show. I know how many people listen. I know how many reviews we have on Apple Podcasts. The gulf is immensely wide. Past the reviews, please remember to head on over to Twitter and give us a follow at Getting Overcast for episode drops, news analysis, highlights, all of that good stuff. Again, on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Please also remember, I happen to love the number... Five. And I hope you do as well, because for $5 a month or 50 for the entire year, you can become an official getting overhead. Just visit buymeacoffee.com slash getting over sign up. Not only do you get bonus instant reaction audio after the major television shows, but you get a news post every single week with some good inside dirt with WWE and occasionally less frequently 
but a little bit more often these days, AEW as well. And Chris, that buymeacoffee.com slash getting over subscription, it's actually going to be referenced a few times on today's show because we'll be clearing up some news that was reported by a couple major outlets that we respect, no question about that, and also some things transpired on television this week that we previewed for you in our news posts over the last couple of weeks. So that is something we'll be touching on. Uh, But look, I got to tell you, this is a really interesting week in professional wrestling. Obviously, coming out of Fastlane, which you and I both agreed was very much a B show, going into Crown Jewel, WWE Fast and Furious with the build for that show already Monday night. You can tell the amount of prominence they are putting on that show. And of course, we have a very special Wrestling Tuesday, not only NXT from the Performance Center with John Cena, Cody Rhodes, Asuka, Paul Heyman, presumably The Undertaker, maybe Becky Lynch as well, maybe Dominic Mysterio, all of that happening. But AEW is putting on a hell of a card for what they're calling Title Tuesday Dynamite. Both shows start 30 minutes commercial free and both have a seven to 10 minute overrun. This is Monday Night Wars territory that we're in, except it's on a Tuesday <laughs> on October. What is it? October 10th? Yeah. Tuesday, October 10th is the rekindling truly of the Monday Night Wars. There was some crazy shit going down on Twitter Monday night. Uh, that's my preview. That's how I'm getting you into the show, Chris. How excited are you, uh, of course, to talk about WWE and for what's to come Tuesday night in this world of professional wrestling? Yeah, coming out of Fastlane, which was a B-level show, but I thought Raw rebounded Monday with a pretty good show. Oh, and then yeah. we've got two. It was very funny on Monday watching WWE and AEW try to outdo each other throughout the day to prepare for Tuesday. You know, someone's going 30 minutes commercial free. The other one's going commercial free. Someone's adding a title match. Someone's adding this. Someone's adding. Well, that. let's like, be clear. Let's be clear. So WWE loaded up the show with veterans and, and you know, no question yes. legends on the show. But on Monday, it was Tony like chaotically trying to figure out how to match or exceed it. And so, yeah, WWE early in the day announced that NXT was going 30 minutes commercial free to start. So Tony announced like two matches. Then he announced that they're going commercial free for 30 minutes to start. Then he announced that they're going to have a 10 minute overrun. I actually transposed those. He announced the overrun first, then the 30 minutes commercial free after that. And then he just went crazy at night. Like, look, we make the snowman jokes occasionally. I don't know what else it could have been, but this guy is basically saying, fuck Vince McMahon. And he's. Um, I yeah. don't know. He's he's going absolutely like mad, like wild. By the way, his it's his birthday on the 10th. So he turned whatever age, 40 ish or 41 or 42, whatever age at midnight. And he's spending the early part of his birthday, like re- responding to people who have 200 followers on Twitter. It's a it, wild situation right but, now. But but the main point here is oh, that and starting a kickoff show as you, two, as you mentioned yes and, and two, adding a kickoff show yeah, ahead of a TV two show really good show they are loaded shows this is the fun of competition Jade Cargill going to WWE Edge going to AW right an overlap show they're loading up the card and it's just it's good for fans I'm like really annoyed by all the people online who get mad right. on behalf of one company or the other when we're all the winners here so just enjoy it and and you'll be at the show at, at NXT your first show. Yeah. in person since we started the podcast. That'll yeah. be a fun report to get back later. Uh, that will be later in the week. But uh, yeah, eventful week for wrestling. Yeah, it's the, the tribalistic nature of it. What I found was really interesting was um, Soraya tweeted, like, no one hates wrestling more than the IWC and like the tribalism yeah. and stuff. And then like her boss is out there stoking the flames of the tribalism. It's It was absolutely wild to me. But yeah, um, 
both shows completely loaded. Tuesday night uh, is going to be incredibly interesting. I was talking to you and I was uh, tweeting as well. Like, I'm not sure when we're going to do our next show. I was thinking, oh, you know what? I'll just do it, you know, Wednesday afternoon, maybe. I think I absolutely have to wait for the ratings to come out in order to tape the next episode because that is a huge part of the conversation. We try not to hang on ratings here on getting over. But I mean, that's what this is. It's what it's all about on Tuesday. So I think Wednesday night or maybe Thursday morning will be the next edition of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast coming out of this. I have a feeling once I get home Wednesday night, watch Dynamite, uh, find out the ratings, I'll probably want to speak on it right away. Whether Chris has the opportunity to join us, he will make that determination on Wednesday. Certainly no pressure put on him, even though I am saying this publicly in front of, uh, you know, thousands of listeners. So Chris, we will find out whether you will be on that show later this week. We do have a few things to talk about here off the jump before we get into, you know, the main event, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and the last word to wrap up this WWE episode. So let's just start with uh, a second look at WWE Fastlane. This is where we watch, you know, rewatch the show or we watch portions of it. And we just add a couple notes that we didn't get to in our instant analysis on Saturday night. So Chris, I don't have many but I'm going to run down the ones I have. And at any point you want to interject, please do so. Uh, I want to make sure you know people get your opinion as well. So the intro to Fastlane with Pat McAfee just standing in his studio reciting a script. I thought it was immensely lazy, but perhaps not as lazy as like the stage, which just had those two cars on there and nothing else. Like either do a special set or don't. Putting two cars there for me, I thought was very, very strange. I also found the checker flag background that they used the entire show for Fastlane, it was black and white checkers, incredibly distracting. I didn't notice this when I was watching it live the first time, but there was so much white space uh, on the LED screens that while I'm watching the matches with the white ropes and the light colored canvas and the white LEDs, and again, this was even more notable during the Pizza Hut segment, it was like so visually distracting. It was the most distracted I've been watching a show since that red light um, at the women's championship match. I don't even remember. Was it WrestleMania? It was crazy for me. I don't know if you were distracted the same way I was. I was not, although I wasn't necessarily watching it too closely because I had multiple screens on because of college football and, right. and all that stuff. But it's a good point. That's why I didn't notice it the first time because I was looking back and forth between college football when this was on. Uh, coming out of the tag team title win, I was trying to think about the most unexpected WWE title change of any type that came before that. And there wasn't really one that immediately popped into my mind. Maybe the Miz cashing in Money in the Bank as a transitional champion, but even that was kind of expected because he did have the briefcase. I just thought it was so unique, such a swerve. Um, You know, you can do big swerves where a baby face joins a faction and turns on his friends, or you can, but this was like a minor storyline swerve where it's just like, Something you didn't expect to happen happened, and you were immensely entertained by it. That was an example of this. Uh, we're not going to spend uh, really any significant time on the press conferences. I did not end up rewatching it and taking notes like I thought I was going to, but I did want to say, and you also pointed this out uh, Monday night when you messaged me, WWE is really leaning into the hysterical, inebriated Jey Uso, Cody Rhodes segment from that. Yeah. Like they even clipped it separately and posted it on YouTube. That's what you sent me. Those guys having so much fun. It really showed their friendship like in a non kayfabe way. And I wouldn't be surprised. Obviously, I don't know 
plans for the tag team titles. But I wouldn't be surprised if they actually go on a little bit longer of a run than anticipated. I, that was about the only thing I completely rewatched was the Jey Uso, mm-hmm. Cody Rhodes press conference. And that made them feel like a tag team more than any wrestling storyline could do. Right. It just looked like two dudes who were messing around, having fun with each other. Cody's just breaking nonstop, trying to cover up his smile. It's impossible not to laugh at that. And you just, you connect with that. Everybody can connect with that. So like, you know, you theorized uh, on their instant reaction show if they would just never let Jey Uso do one of these again. And I was like, I don't know, man. They didn't cut it. They 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 kept it going. They went long. And now they posted it on social media and all these types of things. So I, they really leaned into it in a way I did not expect. Um, and I think everybody just kind of bought into it, which is you can't you can't buy that kind of, you know, connection from wrestling fans for, for a segment. So no. uh, you're right. I think they're, they they may go on a longer reign than we expect, especially because of some other things that happened on Raw right. and things that they talked about. Though they could really just drop it next week. <laughs> like it's it's one of the two. Either they're going to take it for a couple months and we're going to get surprised, like take it through Survivor Series, or they lose next week. It's going to be one extreme or the other. Uh, Carlito was absolutely yoked. Like, man, I don't know what he was taking, uh, you know, what kind of protein powder he was on, but holy shit, he was huge. Uh, Asuka's entrance I thought was awesome. And one thing I love, and this is any brand, almost any wrestler, it does require a good entrance though, is when the wrestlers sing along with their own entrances. I just think it's so cool. Like Rhea Ripley does it. Asuka does it. Um, we've seen, uh, I'm trying to think like Shawn Michaels back in the day used to do it occasionally with sexy boy, Mm -hmm. but like whenever they do it, it's like, Oh, they actually enjoy their song. They actually enjoy what they're coming out to. That always pops me a little bit. I, Also, on the note of Asuka, was thinking, when is the last time two different WWE superstars used Mist on the same show? Like, I'm thinking maybe never. And then on that note as well, having two superstars use it, I'm almost certain this was the first time in WWE history that three Japanese wrestlers were in world title matches on a single WWE show. And I thought that was crazy. Asuka, Io Sky, Shinsuke Nakamura, all, of course, in, in title matches, two and one, one and the other. I just thought that was immensely notable. And really, that's what I had uh, from my second look for WWE Fastlane. I didn't have much else on the Rollins match. It hit the way I said it did um, on the instant analysis. I didn't have anything else on John Cena, LA Knight. It was very much an opportunity to get LA Knight over against the B team of the Bloodline. So, yeah. That's all I got. Yeah, I did notice the the mist two not only two superstars using mist, but two Japanese wrestlers using mist. Mm-hmm. And I was like, are are Japanese people the only ones who are allowed to use mist? That was just it kind of wasn't sure. But to, to your point, I remember that WrestleMania 34 in New Orleans, uh Asuka and Nakamura were both in world title matches. But you're right, that's, that's two. This yeah. is three. Yep. Three uh in, in matches, which was uh, pretty cool. I assume that happened in NXT as well, but I wasn't positive and I didn't research it. I just I was thinking like three in a world title match. I can't I can't even I couldn't even think of three superstars at the same time who would have been elevated into that spot, you know, on one show uh, or on the roster at the same time to do that. So I, I just thought it was immensely notable and great. Obviously, it's fantastic. I'm not saying it for any other reason than that. Let me be very clear. Uh, OK, uh, two other notes. We got um, a bunch of DMs and tweets during Fastlane after Fastlane. I had two that I just wanted to uh, read out here. One from Milwaukee Mike Drop at M. Batzler, he asked, 
Uh, why does John Cena's facial expressions and acting look like a rookie recently? Uh, so he's a cornball. Firstly, he's always been a cornball his entire career, but he's been purposefully hamming it up to like an nth degree on this run because he's trying to sell for someone else. Usually he's selling for the heel or he's selling for a shock in the moment. In this case, he's selling for LA Knight. So when LA Knight delivers a huge punch or when LA Knight does a box jump to the top rope or wins a match or whatever the whatever the case is, Cena's Oh my God, fans, everyone out there that can see me, can you believe what I just saw? This guy's awesome. He's selling. That's the answer. Is it corny? Absolutely. freaking lutely Is it on purpose? Absolutely. freaking lutely Yeah, no, it, it is. There's a picture that WWE got that I used on last week's show for the preview of LA Knight holding the contract he just signed. And John Cena's <laughs> right behind him with his hands on his head like you can't believe He looked it. like he was it scrolling is, the Ten Commandments is. or something. Like he was inscribing them yeah. in stone. <laughs> It, it, it is corny, and I don't disagree that if Cena was a bit more serious about it, it might elevate L.A. Knight even more. But we know John Cena's playing to the kids. He's Correct. playing to, you know, the people who are just kind of leaning into it. So that is what he's doing. He's really done that the last couple of times he's come back now, mm -hmm. uh, where he, he he's not there to be John Cena. He's there to put somebody else over, and so he kind of just, seems like has some fun. In yeah, he's not Doctor of Thugonomics. He's he's a comic book character is what he is now. And that's why he look, he's probably never going, going to win a title again. But the role that he is in now is the role that we always want legends to play to come back and either lose and put someone over, which he did to Austin Theory at WrestleMania. We didn't love the way that transpired, but to do that and then to team with other baby faces and help them get over. He's doing that. And Ellie Knight didn't really need it. But he's even more nuclear hot than he already was because of Cena. And it's the cornball antics like this. That's the role John plays. It's the role that WWE knows they're getting from him. Uh, sports and reality TV write in from Twitter. Uh, when was the last time WWE had this many legit top of the card completely over baby faces? It feels like that's always been the Achilles heel of WWE. They might have one or two going at a time, but not this many. So it's a good question. I feel like we maybe have addressed this on the show before, but if not, this is a good opportunity. It's been a long time since they've had this many baby faces this over. Definitely more than a decade. It's possible not since the Attitude Era, and it's also possible when you think back about the Attitude Era, they still didn't have this many. I mean, you'd have to have them all at baby face at the same time. But what you would pretty much need would be like Stone Cold Steve Austin, The Rock, D-Generation X, Mick Foley, Sable. And even that number is fewer than the list I'm about to give you. The difference is if those were all baby faces at the same time, they the, the amount to which they are over or were over back in that day is way greater than the amount to which the people I'm about to mention are over. But... The number of people now, the spread is larger. There is no question about that. It's just if you were adding up, like if you could calculate it somehow, the attitude error, those like let's call them four or five, would be way more over than like the seven or eight that are over right now. Again, if you're adding them up and summing up the total. But right now, just like think about this. Fans could go nuclear at any time as long as the storyline and situation is right. For Cody Rhodes, John Cena, obviously, L.A. Knight, Jey Uso, Sami Zayn, Kevin Owens. That's not to mention Seth Rollins 
and Becky Lynch, who both are incredibly over. So is Chad Gable to a slightly lesser degree in the mid card. It's been a long time WWE problem, Chris, and people have criticized Triple H for these really long heel title reigns. But what you accomplish when you have reigns like that, in part, is getting baby faces over that can eventually topple those heels. Because what fans want to see is their favorites go over the big bad. And right now, you have big bad Roman Reigns. You have big bad uh, Gunther. Gunther. And even though I didn't include her in this category that is massively over, because she's not a baby face, you have big bad Rhea Ripley, who the second she turns face will join this entire category. And you can argue she's getting cheers right now, akin to some of these, not the top level, but the second level, even though she's a heel. So that's how hot the faces have become. It's because of booking. It's because of character work. And it's because of consistency in storytelling. And a lot of the credit for that goes to Triple H. Yeah, I, I, the big bad point is a good one. I would also credit to just everything on the show mattering, which has been the case since Triple H took over. None of the segments feel like wasted time, so you invest in it. There were so many times where like John Cena was the only thing that mattered on the show. Roman Reigns was the only thing that mattered on the show as a babyface, and all the attention was put on that, and everything else was left by the wayside. 50-50 booking, you never got behind anybody. When every single person on the show has a purpose, you can put them in two different camps. And then you you cheer for this person, you boo this person. I mean, not only are the, the faces as over, a uh, collection of faces as over as we've seen, but we're getting more boos for heels than we've gotten oh, yeah. in a very, very long time as well, led by Dominic Mysterio. And so like, it's just, that's what good storytelling does. That's what good character development does. And that's why the Triple H era has been such a success from a storytelling standpoint. Yeah, there's absolutely no question about that. And and that's kind of transitions us to the other major topic that I wanted to spend time on before we get into the rest of the show. That is Triple H's status as chief creative officer of WWE. Now, this is a topic I want to touch only because it started going around Monday and I really do believe it needs some context and factual basis added to it. The way this started was PW Insider reporting that Paul Levesque, Triple H, is driving 99.9% of WWE creative with Endeavor fully on board behind him rather than, of course, Vince McMahon. Then Fightful came around a few hours later, kind of confirming this reporting, saying changes began September 25th. And then, of course, a variety of aggregation sites have taken this to mean that Vince had more than a hand in creative prior to this based on the way their reporting was done. Now, look, we've previously cited PW Insider and Fightful here, and those guys largely do very good work. But I cannot stress enough that these reports are largely ridiculous. And anyone who has been a getting overhead subscriber, I told you I was going to mention this a few times today, on buymeacoffee.com slash getting over, you know we have been originally reporting and clarifying others' reports about WWE creative responsibilities since April. Here's the deal. And this is based on extremely solid year-long sourcing people that I absolutely trust. And I'm gonna state it as plainly as possible, okay? Triple H completely took over creative when Vince retired. When McMahon forced himself back into WWE around the start of the year, he was almost entirely, almost entirely, 
focused on the sale to Endeavor. Vince did, but in occasionally. Some of the things we noticed and talked about on the show were him. Some of them were changes that Triple H had to make based on injuries, other normal creative issues. There were there was a period of time I, I have come to understand on SmackDown where commercial breaks got changed around lengthwise, which led to him moving segments in the show and cutting them for time and things like that. Not every one of those changes that we saw in that period of time was because of Vince McMahon. Then we got on the build to WrestleMania 39. Vince was hands-on when it came to approving the major match plans and the card. Still, though, during this time, the vast, vast majority of what Triple H wanted got through, and the vast majority of what we saw on TV was Triple H's creative. And then we all remember the Raw after WrestleMania. The Cody Rhodes-Brock Lesnar booking. That was Triple H's plan. But some of the elements of that show were indeed thrown into chaos by Vince. And part of the explanation for the Brock and Cody situation got kind of cut by virtue of that. And Vince was legitimately to blame for that show being off the rails to a degree. Though, again, a lot of it was still what Triple H had planned for that Monday night. That's a stopping point, okay? Once Raw after WrestleMania passed, everything mostly went back to normal. Triple H has been firmly in control of creative since at least Backlash, which was five full months ago. Anyone citing like recent appearances by Tegan Knox and DIY and saying that's proof that something has changed recently, they are ignoring the obvious fact that WWE had significant plans in place across both shows that needed to be finalized before new faces, and I don't mean baby faces, I mean new talent, could be factored in. Is it possible that Triple H got an additional vote of confidence recently? Sure. I could see something like that happening. I do not believe that PW Insider and Fightful would know that because what they, the people they primarily speak with, Fightful in particular, are wrestlers. And PW Insider does have a couple people in the front office, but it's not, they're not talking to the executives of TKO who would have given Triple H the vote of confidence. Again, is that possible? Yes. Do I think anyone knows that specifically? I do not. But did Triple H, and this is the the crux of the entire conversation, did he become any more in control of WWE creative on September 25th than he was on June 25th or July 25th? No, that's the answer. He is the chief creative officer of WWE. It is literally his job. Vince McMahon is the executive chairman of TKO. He actually does not have a WWE role right now. In his capacity, can he tell Triple H what to do? Sure. Could he butt in if he wants? One assumes he certainly could. Will he ever again? Look, WrestleMania is his baby. I could see that happening. But what we have been getting on WWE TV is Triple H's vision. What we are getting on NXT is Triple H giving Shawn Michaels free reign, even if a couple NXT talents are indeed getting featured more. One would have to overlook the elevation of numerous long-overlooked stars, Gunther's intercontinental title reign and the way it's transpired, the prominence of the tag team titles, the infusion of NXT into the main roster. And that did not just happen two or three weeks ago, but also both ways, main roster talent being infused into NXT. 
the straight up continuity and consistency of storytelling, not just week to week, but month to month. You would have to overlook all of that to suggest Triple H has not been firmly in control since Backlash at a minimum. And really, we're talking outside of a couple speed bumps in the road. He's been in control of WWE Creative for about 14 months at this point. Now, I know our news updates are paywalled and therefore our reporting has not been public all this time. That's one of the benefits of visiting buymeacoffee.com slash getting over, subscribing and becoming an official getting overhead. But I did, Chris, find it necessary to clarify all this off the top today because it frustrates me that fans are being led to believe there's been a material change in WWE creative when Trips has had the book this entire time. Yes, Uh, I'll add to that. I got a text uh, from my brother um, during Raw and he says, uh, Per Fightful, it seems Endeavor wanted Vince out of creative or something like that. And I, I, my reaction to that was my reaction to everybody, which was like, I don't know why everybody's so caught up in the is Vince in creative or not thing. Like, he's very, even just watching TV, he's <laughs> very, very clearly minimally involved, if, if at all. That. <laughs> exactly. Like, what, does it, what does it matter? Like, who, who cares? He's not going to come in, boot Triple H out of the role and take it over. If that happens, we'll react to it. But like, you laid it all out extremely well there. Whether he is or he isn't, it doesn't matter. Like what we're getting on TV is very good and has been largely consistent for the last 14 months. Like it's such such a weird thing that like internet fans get caught up on and it's like not relevant like at all, <laughs> really. I mean, I do think Triple H, Triple H is running the ship. Like it's very clear. Yes, a couple things might get changed from time to time, but like, I don't know, man. Like there's way more interesting things to talk about. I do think there, he, the reason why it, has relevance it's twofold one talent satisfaction um the ability for them to walk around backstage and be confident that the person leading their charge is someone they respect like and and trust that is part of the reason why and also it's the foreboding for fans of like oh man i'm gonna tune into raw and things are gonna be chaotic and shitty because they were all changed at the last minute that is a tenant of vince mcmahon I I think people don't really realize, first of all, this is not just a WWE issue, but WWE, AEW, NXT, you know, whatever show it is, unless it's taped. And even when it is taped, shit changes for a variety of reasons. Talent, injuries, illness. LA Knight got pulled off SmackDown a couple weeks ago. Was that because Vince McMahon doesn't like LA Knight? No, he had COVID. Like, Like, these things happen. And... Just because something changes on TV doesn't mean there's a boogeyman out there, a big bad who is, you know, doing puppeteer shit and changing it. Just because Tony gives Mox the title back, let's say, from Ray Phoenix, which is probably going to happen on Tuesday, doesn't mean that like Turner executives told him it needed to happen. Maybe they did. But, you know, again, it is about my concern is the wrestling news sites. I'm being very careful on on the way I describe them, because I think both of these guys do a really good job. Um, It seems like they move from like one boogeyman aspect of wrestling to another. And, um, you know, if it can't be CM Punk and backstage drama about CM Punk, it has to be WWE creative is Vince McMahon involved. It can never just be okay. Like there's no circumstance in which like the AEW locker room is happy. The WWE locker room is happy. Everyone's getting along. Yeah, maybe there's a couple minor issues going down. There always has to be some controversy. And the truth is, and you and I both work in sports and we know 
you know, athletic programs when it comes to college and NFL franchises or pro teams, even our own offices of, of editorial people. Um, yeah, things happen in business. You don't go into like Dairy Queen and all the workers love each other and the boss is great. Like, are there a couple companies where that could be possible? Sure. Uh, but it's not really the way work life works. Um, so nothing crazy is happening in WWE. And just to kind of reiterate, Triple H is firmly in control of creative, number one. That's the most important thing. But number two, there has not been a material change to that in the last three weeks or four weeks. He's been in control. He remains in control. And he's doing a damn good job uh, booking WWE, especially compared to the state it was kind of during the pandemic and immediately coming out of the pandemic. That's the most important thing. Chris, we have a lot of show left. We haven't gotten to our main segments yet. So let's not waste any more time. You know what's coming up. The main event, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and the last word as we break down everything that happened this week in the world of WWE. So let's kick it off, as I just said we were going to, by sliding into the main event. This is the main event. So Seth Rollins opened Raw Monday night wearing bedazzled ski goggles while getting serenaded after his entrance. He also kind of had like, sparkly hammer pants and a checkerboard jacket. You and I discussed on the instant analysis and the go home uh, WWE episode last week. Hey, you know, it's pretty cool that uh, Shinsuke Nakamura is turning Rollins into this more serious character. If they tone down the look a little bit, he'll be in the perfect spot. Well, they didn't listen to us. For anyone who thinks, you know, incorrectly, uh, erroneously, that WWE creative listens to this show, uh, certainly Seth Rollins does not. Uh, but Rollins puts... Oh, <laughs> Rollins put Shinsuke Nakamura over for uh, taking him to his limit, saying he won only because of pure adrenaline. He said his back is still broken. It's been one of the top honors of his career being the inaugural World Heavyweight Champion, but he's just getting started, even though he did kind of hope for one night where he didn't actually have to fight. So out comes Drew McIntyre to a mixed pop. Rollins assumed he wanted a title match and went nuts, saying, okay, fine, I'll step up, let's do it. But McIntyre clarified, Hey, man, I'm not jumping you. I want you as close to 100% as I can get. Let's fight at Crown Jewel. This straight up confused Seth. He's like, wait, someone's not attacking me? This is crazy. So he accepted the challenge. And then Drew told the fans, hey, if you see me out, buy me a pint and a shot. Suddenly, Damian Priest attacked Rollins from behind and hit south of heaven. He called Dominic Mysterio out to the ring. He waved his arm. Dom comes running down with the Money in the Bank briefcase. But McIntyre, standing right in the aisle, uh, basically stops him cold with one hand. He stayed true to what he's been saying. He decided not to help Rollins because it's not his business. But he did stop Dom because he was getting into his own business. Then he hit a Glasgow kiss. He took the briefcase, chucked it off to the Titantron. I'm pretty sure that was a callback. I think he did that around the pandemic during the Thunderdome era. Uh, Rollins later confronted McIntyre backstage for not helping him despite wanting him at 100%. Drew explained that it wasn't his business, but the cash-in attempt was his business. Rollins talked some trash, and that was pretty much it. So I thought this was real solid from start to finish. A lot of really smart continuity between these segments. Rollins' adrenaline explanation, that protected Nakamura a bit. Again, he's a pure babyface. And McIntyre maintained this tweener character, especially in the latter half, based on his decision-making. Plus, Priest attacking after presumably recovering with Rollins admitting he was still ailing, his back was still hurting him. That made perfect sense. I was going to say, you know, it would have really been nice for McIntyre to be built up a little more with some key wins under his belt before he challenged for the title. 
But I actually looked it up because I wanted to see if I was wrong about that. He has defeated two former WWE champions, Kofi Kingston and The Miz, plus Jey Uso and Xavier Woods all in the last mm-hmm. month. So him as the next challenger absolutely plays. He has more of a resume to be the next challenger than Shinsuke Nakamura did. I thought they timed it really well with the character build, the challenge coming out of Fastlane, the backstage segment reinforced McIntyre's position. For me, this entire thing worked. Yeah, totally worked. It was very funny opening to it when Drew's just nodding and shaking his head. It was just like, we're just getting through that. We're, we're not doing the nonsense here. We're getting down to business and, and doing all that stuff. When Priest came out and attacked him, I was like, oh, shit. Like, I totally forgot about this. Like, this is a wrinkle I was not expecting while I was thinking about Drew and Seth. And then Dominic, um, you know, the whole thing happens. I just kept thinking, man, Priest, you idiot. Why didn't you just bring the briefcase yourself? <laughs> You know, why did you need Dominic to come right. down the stage? Otherwise, you might have been able to to do it. Um, but only uh, only thing I would have changed, uh, Seth, when he came out and did his whole opening, he looked totally fine. You know, I, I, w- I would have loved to see some taped ribs or a bandage on his head or something like to show what he went through last night or two nights ago and a last man standing match that was particularly brutal, you know, like just something to kind of sell that a little bit, a limp or, or something. He looked totally fine and kind of, I know he talked about it, but would have loved to just mm-hmm. seen that a little bit as well. Um, but the backstage part was a great follow-up and it was exactly what always happens with Seth. Seth, we get the goofy character and then we get the serious character and the two of them backstage, that was serious Seth. And I was into it and I loved it. I was like, man, I wanted to see this in front of the crowd as well instead of just it being at a backstage segment because it was really good. Uh, So yeah, everything about this was terrific and uh, looking forward to it. Yeah, I agree with that entirely. The priest explanation, if you want the kayfabe explanation, is easier for him to get in the ring and start beating up Seth. Also, he could continue to beat him up while Dom was coming down with the briefcase to cash it in as opposed to having to stop beating him, take the briefcase, go over to the referee, cash it in, then go back to Seth, maybe Rollins runs out of the ring. Uh, instead of this way, he was able to keep I mean, his you eye on him. You could have brought the briefcase and just hit him with it. <laughs> I'm just you know, giving you the kayfabe true. explanation. I'm not saying it I makes sense in reality. I'm just, I'm telling you why that was done that way. But also, you know, they had to do it because they needed McIntyre to stop him. So um, I thought it was yeah. interesting the way they uh, pulled that off. Oh, but also though, if you're cashing in, this is the real truth. If you're cashing in the briefcase, and your entire faction is behind you. They should be ganging up on Rollins and just beating the shit out of him three on one, four on one. And then your guy cashes in. Why is Dom the only one who's helping you? That doesn't really make sense. Or you have well, JD no, McDonough come out as they, well, you know? They did explain that. Well, oh, well they, in the next thing that we're going to talk about. Next. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Okay, we'll get to that now. And, and I really like that they did that. I yeah, like that. That's a good point. I'm just saying, I'm just saying again, and if we're talking about like wrestling, that would make more sense. If you're going to cash in, you plan it out. Like if you and I had the yeah. briefcase, right? And we're in a four-person faction. And why would I ever say, hey, you know what? You guys, I'm going to go cash in now. Go do whatever you want to do. Or, or I wouldn't tell you guys, hey, guys, I'm going to go cash in. Please don't help me. You wouldn't do that. Like in reality, you would just go and say, hey, this is the time. Let's all go. Everyone comes and attacks. You win. That's pretty much what I'm trying to say. But to your point, mm-hmm. there was a backstage segment that explained it. So Priest was shown kind of choking out J.D. McDonough in the, um, I almost called it bloodline, in the Judgment Day locker room. He said that's what J.D. gets for screwing up. Rhea Ripley and Finn Balor ran in to stop him with Balor 
and Ripley both getting in McDonough's face. Priest was still furious, but they explained they were out talking to Adam Pierce, getting a tag team title rematch for next week. And they also got McDonough a chance to prove himself by taking care of McIntyre Monday night on Raw. Priest was again placated by all of that, but he threatened JD once again. There was really fun non-verbal acting here. I don't know if you happened to catch it. So McDonough took the news from Ripley, kind of straight-faced worried, like, oh, I don't want to fight Drew McIntyre. Then he looks at Balor, like, really, do I have to do this? And Balor nods, like, yeah, you have to do it. So then he goes and looks at Priest and gets scared because Priest is giving him the death stare. And then he looks at Dom, who basically shrugs, like, hey, man, you're on your own. And if you rewatch that segment, you'll see him looking from one person to the next. I thought it was brilliant the way he did that. JD is a very good character (laughs) actor. Uh, But we also got uh, McIntyre against McDonough, the match. Drew dominated JD at the bell and was ready to hit Claymore until Dom distracted him on the apron. And JD took out Drew's leg with ferocity. Dom then pushed McIntyre into the post with McDonough hitting a gorgeous springboard moonsault. Drew then caught JD off a distraction with Future Shock DDT and hit a Claymore for the win. I get the booking was that McDonough wasn't able to prove himself here. I didn't see why they could not have made him look better in a longer match, given he's being featured on TV so much and trying to work his way into Judgment Day. It just, for me, Chris, felt like a significantly missed opportunity to build him where Dom was pretty much doing all the dirty work in this match. I mean, you're not wrong, but like if you just look at Drew McIntyre and JD McDonough, you feel yeah. like Drew should just kick this guy's ass very easily. And Drew is a two-time former world champion. You know, he looks like a million bucks. It kind of has to play out that way. I will say Drew at the end of the match really sold that this was a lot harder than he expected. And that, that was a big part of that was because of Dom and the interference right. and whatnot. But he like Drew gets the pin and he, he like has his eyes really big and he looks exhausted. So like he tried to sell it in, in a bit of a way. I you know, maybe it didn't make JD look great, but you know, I think it played out the only way it realistically could have played out. I just feel like in WWE, this is a five minute match. The same match in AEW would have been like 17 minutes where the true answer is this should be 10, you know, or, or, or 12 or something like that. It's more than WWE gives you, not as much as AEW gives you because AEW makes the challengers look too strong. Um, It's just this medium that neither company really finds that frequently. We actually did get it later in the show with a women's match where WWE did it appropriately. But here, yeah, I was just like, I wish JD got a little bit more. So after this ended, there was no sound. Uh, There was some audio screw up. But I think Priest backstage wanted to beat the shit out of McDonough uh, because he lost to McIntyre. Ripley said, hey, you know what? Take a beat. I have an idea. We then saw Ripley speaking to McIntyre in the background of a backstage segment. He eventually drew confronted Jay Uso before what was ultimately the main event. Sami Zayn stopped in to separate them. The mixing of these two storylines on the show, the other we're going to get to in the next segment, I thought it was smart as always. I appreciated the hidden element kind of keeping you engaged and guessing throughout the entire show. I don't believe him going up to Jay was what really was kind of whispering to him. So I think it's something that's still going to transpire in the future. I don't think Drew is joining Judgment Day, but it was interesting to see that. And if McIntyre loses to Rollins, I think as we expect, that could definitely be the catalyst for a full heel turn and maybe even a rematch at Survivor Series. 
yeah, there, there's intrigue and Rhea Ripley's kind of constantly in the background doing things, whether it's talking to Jey Uso or Paul Heyman or Drew McIntyre. So like they're adding kind of new elements to her character on top of everything with Judgment Day, which is interesting. And I'm not so certain Seth is going to beat Drew McIntyre at Crown Jewel, but we'll we'll get to that when we get closer to it. It feels like if we say it enough, he'll eventually lose. <laughs> I, I don't know. That's exactly the way that works. But we have plenty of time and we eventually will have a WWE Crown Jewel Ultimate Preview along with some additional build shows before we get there. And when we do, we will talk about that possibility. All right, folks, that was the main event for today. Uh, most of what happened on SmackDown, I will reiterate, we already discussed on the Instant analysis for WWE Fastlane, which left this show, I don't want to say barren, but thin, thinner than it normally is. Nevertheless, we still have plenty to talk about from Raw and a couple stragglers from SmackDown. As we move into the segment you know, you love, it is the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I'm sorry, Miss Rosie Perez, I call a spade a spade, it just is what it is. But you can't give credit to anything dude says, same dude to give you ice and you own some... It's time to wake up the dead. You sound a little naive in the articles that I read. All right, let's start with Cody Rhodes and Jay Uso, who came out for an interview with Michael Cole. He asked the pertinent question about whether the tag team titles being won by them changes Cody's plans in regards to finishing the story, and if he's perhaps scared to go after the WWE Championship again and fail. Cody avoided the question, so Cole asked it again, only for Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn to interrupt. They came out to the old shitty remix Sami theme, which Sami pointed out, and it became clear later in the show, someone hit the wrong button, which I think everyone yeah. breathed a sigh of relief when that happened. Uh, Zayn recounted the recent history of the tag team titles. He said he was happy for both of them, but felt like they should be holding them, he and KO. Owens said his emotions weren't mixed like Sami's. He wanted the titles back immediately, so Cody accepted right away. KO started leaving, happy with what he got. So Cody clarified, we're not just accepting your challenge, we're fighting tonight. So Owens went back in, and they all got really heated. The most important part about this, and the reason it gets a good, is the addressing of Cody's WWE title focus. While Cole said finish the story so often in this segment that you'd have gotten as drunk as Jay was at Fastlane if it were a drinking game, they hammered home the point and countered all the ridiculous online complaints about Cody winning a championship prior to reaching his ultimate goal. Sammy and KO obviously played their parts perfectly as well. Plus, it was a nice setup to a huge main event. I also loved the way that Cody avoided Cole's question. So Cole got to put it out there so everyone recognized it was part of the story, but Cody didn't spend time addressing it, number one, because he was tag team champion and wanted to focus on that. But number two, there probably is something to the kayfabe story of Cody failing once and not wanting to fail again. But for people who are concerned that Roman Reigns The Rock is the plan for WrestleMania 40, and look, it's possible that happens, and it's possible Reigns wrestles twice, and whatever the case, they are clearly, by having Cody team with Jay and hold the titles, uh, probably soon work with the rest of the bloodline again, now have the ability to go to SmackDown. What's, what time of the year is it? We're right about to get into Survivor Series, end of 2023, right before WrestleMania season. Seems pretty obvious they're beginning to plant the seeds of Roman and Cody part two. I wonder, so like Cody was asked that exact question in the press conference 
after Fastlane. Mm-hmm. And so I, I wondered if uh, they just kind of leaned into that uh, and had Michael Cole go really over the top in, in, in addressing it because maybe they felt it was on the minds of fans. Um, but you're right. I think the fact that they did note that and highlight that is a reminder that they are going to come back around to it and that Cody is going to be Roman for the title uh, and finish that story, so to speak. But man, Michael Cole really jamming the knife in there a little bit, you know, saying you got so close, just like your father. <laughs> yeah. Like very, very, it was almost like a heel interview for Michael Cole. It was, it was actually very funny. Um, but, but this, this whole segment was good. The confrontation, I mean, on the Sammy music part, like the first thing he says when he comes out is I haven't heard that song in a while. So right. like that was when I knew, Oh, they played the wrong song. They played the wrong music, but um, I've, I, I continue to just really like the dynamic between everybody having different feelings about Jey Uso and, and, and Kevin Owens being like, I'm not having mixed feelings, you know? And it was interesting. It was an interesting look because remember Sammy was the one who s- celebrated Jey Uso. Sammy was the one who was friends with Jey Uso for a long time. But his friendship with Kevin Owens is deeper. And so he's still on that side of the fence here, trying to mend everything in between. You've got, you got, you know, two guys who kind of don't like each other and Kevin Owens and Jey Uso, and then two guys in Sami Zayn and Cody Rhodes who are trying to bring them together. So it's just like it really kind of nuanced, and I thought they navigated that pretty well. Yeah, there's no question about that. I find the whole thing pretty damn intriguing. On the note of the music, and I'm not going to mention this later in the segment when we talk about it, but it was one of two times where I actually think an old theme was played on Raw, the other being Kofi Kingston's entrance for his music. God. The other being Kofi Kingston's entrance for his match. I'm not 100% sure, but I believe it was the old, very old New Day intro uh, rather than the more current one that Big E did for them. So... Go back and listen to that as well. But I think there were two entrance music screw ups in the first hour of Raw, and then they were pretty solid uh, the rest of the way through the show. Anyway, we have more to talk about here. A tag team championship match that followed the segment Cody and Jay against KO and Sammy. This got contentious multiple times early with everyone brawling at ringside until order was restored. The idea was the veneer of being faces was lifted and the referee gave them leeway to like have it out with each other. That way they could get the match under control. KO hit a swanton bomb on Jay with Cody getting the hot tag. Cody then countered Luva kick into crossroads for a broken fall. KO and Jay traded a series of super kicks, but they actually sold them. Jay missed an Uso splash with Owens catching him for a stunner and a broken fall. Sammy hit a huge tope on the champions. Jay blocked the Swanton Bomb with double knees and super kicked both challengers. Cody hit a crossroads on Sammy. Then the champions hit a double super kick on Owens, plus the Code D, the 1D cutter, to successfully retain the titles in 22 minutes. Cody did kind of land on his head when they hit that. He was okay, but it didn't look great. Uh, Sammy shook their hands and hugged the champions after the bell. So KO got in the ring, shook Cody's hand, paused, and then dapped up Jay and brought him close to his chest for a hug, raised his arm, fully squashed the beef. I did not think, I gotta be honest, that this was going to be squeaky clean. I figured Judgment Day interference was obvious, but it was great to see it go down this way. Not only was this a banger match, but it made sense to get KO and Sammy out of the tag team title picture 
where they've been featured since March. I mean, we're talking six months. What they do long-term, that remains to be seen. This should set the stage for a few weeks off before they build to Survivor Series coming out of Crown Jewel. The issues are settled. They can go after Judgment Day and or Bloodline together. This was really good as a main event. Yeah, really good. Sometimes when you have like faces and faces, crowds don't know how to react to certain things, but they were just totally into this the whole time Mm -hmm. uh, because it was for people that they really care about. Um, Match was a banger, like you said. I was also surprised it was clean. I was surprised we didn't get any interference at all because frankly, I don't think that match should be the thing that squashes the beef. Like Kevin Owens lost clean. So now he's cool with Jey Uso. Like I feel like it should have been, you do the clean finish. Sammy and KO go out of the ring. Judgment Day come in and interfere and start beating up Cody and them, you know, for their match uh, that they've got, their title match that they got coming up. Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn come in, save Cody and Jay, and then the beef is squashed, you know? Like, I, I don't think a match squashes that beef necessarily as much as you kind of needed a real save, a moment for Kevin Owens to do the right thing to save Jey Uso. I feel like that just, like, a little thing you could have just added on at the end uh, would have really kind of made it a lot more meaningful. Yeah I, I, like, yeah. I liked everything they did. I just thought the beef squash was kind of thin. I agree that for KO to really be sold on Jay, Jay should be stepping up and saving KO from something. Whatever that is. Damien mm-hmm. Priest attacking him, yeah. Finn Balor about to break his knee with a chair. Something should happen where Jay comes in and gets KO's back. But there is something to be said about you know, winning over friendship through battle. You see fighters go into, you know, the the octagon or a boxing match, hating each other. And by the time it's over, they respect the metal of the other person and they come out on the other side, friends or, you know, respected parties or whatever. So I don't find it thin. I think it's different than what we are normally used to, especially from WWE. I just thought it was a respect factor. I don't think they're friends all of a sudden, but I think it's respect. Now, as the story continues, there is an opportunity for them to become friends. But as of right now, you know, that's not where this sat for me, I guess, is the best way I can put it. Um, but I you, mean, I thought I, I took make it as we're all now. friends. We're all good now with the way they ended that. I took it as we're all good. Like, I'm not going to hate you anymore. I did not take it as we're best friends. But well, they lifted their arms and everything. That was kind of well, they're saying, hey, they're, they're the rightful champions. They beat us clean. Jay didn't cheat. That's what that's the way I took it. But. Regardless, even if we're splitting hairs, it was a positive outcome to further what we believe, or at least what I believe the story to be, um, going into Crown Jewel and then coming out of that on the way to Survivor Series, which obviously they teased at the end of SmackDown with the Avengers Assemble moment. I got to tell you, when they did that, because we're not going to talk about it on this show because we already talked about it on the instant analysis, when they did the Avengers Assemble at the end of SmackDown, I almost expected like a portal to open up and Jade Cargill to walk through. Like it was like the ne- that was the next thing that needed to happen. She comes through, Rhea jumps on the apron, and they all go at it. I, you know, it was just like a perfect moment. It was very Marvel, uh, the end of SmackDown on Friday night. But I figured I'd mention that here. Regardless, uh, I guess we can move on. I, oh, I did forget to give a grade. I was at four stars, A minus for this match. I could definitely see people being a quarter star higher because it was indeed a banger. I loved this match. Uh, let's keep going here. Uh, Shinsuke Nakamura backstage was frustrated and silent. 
when being interviewed. Ricochet then attacked him. This was retribution from a couple weeks ago. Uh, and then eventually they got separated backstage. Ricochet had a planned match on the night. Chad Gable, Ricochet, Bronson Reed for the number one contendership to the Intercontinental title. Otis prepped Gable for the match with like a half dozen chops across the chest. Reed came up to him talking shit. As Ricochet entered for the match, Nakamura attacked him and actually hit go to sleep, which was obviously intentional and interesting. Now, Nakamura has done the GTS in prior years. When he did it, it was because Kenta, the former Hideo Itami, allowed him to do it. They're friends from Japan. But here, clearly, we're talking about CM Punk, and I don't think this was random or accidental that they did it in this spot. So moving to the match, Gable hit a great full Nelson suplex on Ricochet outside with Rick landing on Reed. Bronson hit a double Samoan drop inside. Gable hit a massive German on Reed who whipped Ricochet out with a tope con hero. Uh, Ricochet fully flipped out of a top rope release suplex, but he sold a knee. Gable hit him with chaos theory only for Reed to break the fall by literally lifting Ricochet out of the cover, dumping him <laughs> onto Gable then hitting a running sent on onto both of them and then nailing Ricochet with Tsunami. Incredible call by Wade Barrett. I should probably add that sound drop so when we say Tsunami, it's Wade Barrett saying Tsunami instead of me because he says it better. But he got the win in what I believe was 10 minutes. Of course, this was good. I spent the entire match hoping Gable would not win and I was thrilled with the outcome because I didn't want an ex-Olympian taking the Intercontinental title in Saudi Arabia. And then later in the show, they announced that Gunther Reed will actually be next Monday night on Raw. So that excitement slightly went away, but this was still a blast. Uh, I went again, 3.75 stars, B plus, really close to an A. If you were at an A, I fully uh, accept that. I mean, A minus four stars is what I mean. But when you push someone like Bronson Reed, you have to pay it off with opportunities like this. You can't just push them, have them yep. beat people and not get a title match of some kind. So it's great that he's getting this chance. There's going to be no shame in him losing to Gunther, especially because, Chris, this coming Monday on Raw, we'll be saying, Oh, we got two big meaty men bumping me tonight. So I'm obviously down for that. Yep, this this was a good. This was one I just you just knew going in that Bronson Reed was going to win because of what you said. Like you you don't build him up these last couple of weeks only to have him lose a number one contender match. But but that said, they gave they gave us an incredibly fun and exciting match that had a lot of drama. Uh, and even if you got the expected winner at the end, so I thought that was all great. They they really. Commentary really tried to protect Gable too and just like kind of give you a reason to stay with him, stay behind him mm -hmm. and stuff like that as well. So I think they handled that all well. And yeah, big meaty men coming next week. Uh, get the slabs of beef ready. Reinforce the ring posts. <laughs> Reinforce the ring post. The beef's going to be flying tonight, gentlemen. So later backstage, Ricochet was pissed before Pierce informed him he would get Nakamura in a Falls Count Anywhere match next week on Raw. That's an exciting booking for sure, and it makes sense. But we did technically have Falls Count Anywhere rules in a match Monday night on Raw this past week that we're talking about. So even if those rules weren't used in the finish, 
They just gave them to us this week. They're giving them to us again next week. That's a little bit repetitive. Anyway, we'll keep going. NXT Women's Championship, Becky Lynch against Tegan Knox. As Becky was cutting a promo ahead of the match with Tegan, Zia Lee swung by out of nowhere, asking when she gets her opportunity. Lynch said she's not hard to find. I mean, look, we already knew Knox wasn't going to win, but it would have been far better to do this segment after the match as opposed to before it. Yes. Because then you know Becky's clearly going to win and Zia Lee is the next opponent on Raw. We did get a vignette with Tegan explaining her multiple battles back from knee injuries. Knox then said in gorilla position, it wasn't just a title match to her, but a chance to prove herself. Natalia then gave her a big pep talk and a hug, fully babyface continuing last week. So it was a one week heel turn for Natalia, who is firmly in the big show role now in WWE. Yeah. The crowd. Real real, real quick, real quick on Natalia. I just want to jump in. Like as she was saying this and doing this, like I didn't believe her. Like How could every you? time she talks to Tegan Knox, I keep thinking she's just going to turn on her. I don't know if it's like either poor acting or really good acting or what, but I like, I don't believe that she's being friends. I fully believe she's trying to do something to Tegan Knox. And I, I don't know if I'm right or if I'm wrong. It's just what I keep thinking every time I see it. I don't think you're right, but I completely understand why you think that way. No question <laughs> about it. So here's the deal. Um, the crowd just did not give a single shit when this started. Something happened during the commercial break that did get them going a little bit. And that was positive. Uh, Knox escaped, disarm her, driving Lynch into the turnbuckles. Then she hit two cannonballs and put her in an arm bar. Knox escaped, manhandle slam, but ate a missile dropkick. Tegan then caught Becky running for what I thought was a really cool fallaway slam bridge cover. Probably the move of the entire match. I don't think I've seen that before. There were a series of pin and submission counters and ultimately ended Intiguing, tapping out via disarm her in 14 minutes. Becky shook her hand, dapped her up after the bell. So this is a tough one, okay? Let me start by saying that this gets a good because of the elements. They got plenty of time. Tegan was given an opportunity. Becky worked really hard. It was just unfortunate that the fans did not care about Knox at all. That impacted this because Knox unfortunately in the match didn't really give them a reason to care about her. And she was a baby face going against a baby face and they're going to cheer Becky more no matter what. Knox looked real tentative and she completely lacked explosion in the ring. That's been an issue for her since she returned, but this is also the longest match that she's had. And I looked this up since 2020. Okay. Now I'm glad we got what we ultimately got. I hope she finds her groove eventually. It just seems, and I'm being candid and and straightforward here, after three knee surgeries, I don't know that Tegan working as a singles wrestler, and this is anywhere, WWE, AEW, Impact, I don't think it's going to work unless she can figure out a way to get her explosion back. Because if you watched her wrestle back in like, 2018 and 2017, when she was obviously not only younger, but healthier and had only had, I think, one knee surgery or perhaps zero, you saw Tegan Knox and you said, wow, she can be a big star in WWE. Very similar to Dakota Kai. And of course, they were team members previously. But the Tegan Knox that we see now, I'm just, frankly, she's a shell of what she used to be. It's unfortunate because I know there's a lot of people rooting for her. We on this podcast were rooting for her. 
I was, you know, very supportive of her getting this opportunity. So this was super unfortunate, but it was difficult to watch this match, Chris, and say, you know, yeah, it kind of looks like Tegan is uh, running underwater here occasionally. So it seems like they're going to go in a tag team direction with Natalia. We'll talk about that more in a little bit. And I actually think her as part of a tag team is going to be the way that she continues her career. I don't know that at this level of lacking explosiveness, it's going to work. And it sucks for us because we see this happen with athletes all the time. Someone tears an ACL, hurts an Achilles. They try to come back. They're not as explosive as they used to be. Again, Tegan, three knee injuries. That's very difficult to come back from. So I'm not super familiar with her pre-main roster career NXT and what have you. So I don't, I can't compare it to Of course, that. right. But in terms of the crowd being dead for this, I think it's a few reasons. One, we don't really know much about Tegan Knox. Like they've told us the story, but we don't, we haven't seen her enough to really connect with it. Two, Nobody cares about the NXT women's title on the main roster. This goes back to kind of what we talked about a couple weeks ago about how much NXT is showing up on WWE, what matters and what not, what, uh, what doesn't. Becky's doing huge numbers for NXT. We've seen that. I don't think it's following to the main roster uh, the other way. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it was just like, oh, here's a title match for a, for a belt I'm not really familiar with. And Becky's fighting someone I'm not really familiar with. So like there's not just... You're not as into it. And then when you don't have an electric match as well, people just kind of don't get into it. I think there's plenty of ways Tegan can continue a career, whether it's a tag team, whether it's just more character work. Like we'll only get into Tegan Knox if we see her a lot on TV. And the first thing, first part of us seeing her is getting an NXT women's title shot and losing that title shot. Like that's a high place to start off. There was no like, weeks and weeks of building and building to get behind her. Just she got thrown it up at the top of that right at the beginning, basically. And so I think she needs a story um, and weeks of stuff to kind of let us sink our teeth into before we kind of have any real opinion about her. Yeah, no, I think that's true. And and just so, so people understand, if you don't know what I'm talking about. So in 2018, pretty much a year, I would say, maybe 14 months after she got started in NXT, she in one injury, Tore her ACL, MCL, LCL, meniscus, and patellar. Dislocated her patellar. The cam rising. Yeah, the cam rising injury. Um, and numerous other people. I think uh, Nick Chubb had that happen, right? Todd Gurley, maybe. It was one of those two. I forget which one. But that all happened. Then she comes back. Actually looks great having recovered. Tears her ACL. And I think it was in her other knee. She had two knee braces on for a large period of time. I didn't actually remember whether she had both uh, knee braces on in this match. I think maybe she didn't, uh, but for a long time she did. So it is just a very, it's been a very difficult road for her. Uh, I believe there was another knee injury factored in somewhere. It's just unfortunate again, because like, I think everyone wants her to succeed, but you could not have watched this match and said, oh yeah, she runs just as well as EO or or Dakota's injured right now too, but uh, as EO or Bailey or Becky or, or Charlotte or anyone else, like She's clearly limited physically, and it's really unfortunate because she is a super talent and a real easy to like baby face. But you're right, Chris, uh, her getting more TV opportunity in time. And we'll talk about how that looks like it's going to be happening. Um, that can only do her well. And maybe as part of a tag team, uh, you know, with limited action comparatively to being a singles wrestler, that could actually help her. So 
later in the show, uh, Natty, Katana Chance, Caden Carter, all three of them consoled Tegan backstage. Chelsea Green and Piper Niven appeared. Chelsea talked shit, calling it a pity party. It became a confrontation between Piper and Natty, who had Tegan's back. So they're going to have a match next week. I think I pointed out last week that it did seem like Knox and Natty were going to become a team coming out of this Becky Lynch title match. And that is definitely the case now. I mean, they literally put them in a segment with two other women's tag teams. My only problem about the segment is there's actually a third women's tag team or fourth, I guess, on Raw. And they weren't in the segment. They were in a completely different segment. That's Candice LeRae and Indy Hartwell. But I liked what we got backstage. I was actually worried as the show was going on. I was like, are they not going to address the women's tag team situation? And then they did this. So they took Tegan. They gave her an opportunity to, to be in the ring with Becky Lynch and then moved her immediately into a meaningful program. I think that's pretty cool. Yep, I agree. And it was cool to see Piper Niven back and her and Chelsea Green together for a moment. We just, we haven't gotten much of that in the last month or so. I really like them together and I'm excited for that match uh, next week. So that was all good, uh, that part of it. Also, yes, Tegan did have, looks like two knee braces on, covered up by knee pads of some sort. So there you go. Uh, And yeah, I wasn't going to grade that segment, but it was good, the backstage, sure. I mean, it was nothing wrong with it. Uh, Raquel Rodriguez fought Nia Jax. Nia charged Raquel at the bell, slamming her head into the canvas a bunch. I was really worried that they were going to squash Raquel. Like when that happened to start the match, I was like, oh my God, please don't tell me you're booking it this way. But that didn't happen. Uh, Rodriguez failed to lift Jax and got thrown into the post and barricade. Raquel dropped Nia with a boot, but her back gave out again, trying to lift her. Jax hit a Samoan drop, but Raquel countered the Annihilator by powerbombing her off the ropes. Ripley then ran in for the disqualification, dumping Rodriguez out of the ring and knocking Jax out cold with a kick. Raquel fought back. Rhea ended her with a headbutt. Then Shayna Baszler runs in and attacks Nia. Rhea pushes her off. So Ripley attacked and stood tall ultimately after a German suplex and a stiff knee strike. Baszler is the one who stood tall. Let me clarify. Shayna backstage reiterated that she's the baddest woman in WWE and will not be sneak attacked. And I wanted to point it out. Uh, after that one week, Chris, where they called Nia, what was it, the baddest human in yes. <laughs> WWE or the world? They have not said that again. So it seems like the baddest, quote unquote, is sticking with Shayna, and they're not doing anything with Nia regarding that. Now, what I liked about this is this is how you use a disqualification in a conscientious, creative manner to pick up a story that was waiting to be revived. First of all, Raquel and Nia were surprisingly good together. I'm not about to give the match like, three stars or anything like that, but do it. No, but it was fun. Like I thought it was them working together was a blast. And I'm also not here to suggest that Jax is suddenly a safe worker, but I did not see any issues in this match. I will say Ripley attacking. It prevented either of them from taking the L. It also set up what seemed to be an obvious triple threat for crown jewel. We discussed that when Jax initially returned. We're like, Oh, obviously they'll just do a triple threat, except the Baszler element sets up the four-way that I didn't expect. Plus, this match got like seven minutes, so it checked all of the boxes. It was great to see Baszler treated on par with Ripley and Rodriguez. That deserves a good. Yeah, this was good. The match was surprisingly solid enough, and then the attacks out of nowhere uh, were fun, and Rhea Ripley, I hadn't noticed it earlier in the show, but Rhea Ripley coming out in pigtails uh, got me saying, hey now. (laughs) look good, but she's got me saying, hey now. 
And then Shayna Baszler coming in with a brutal looking knee to the face uh, really got me excited. Like we don't see Rhea Ripley beat up very much Mm -hmm. just because she's so dominant and and big and stuff like that. So to be in this collection with Raquel, Shayna and Nia Jax, all of them who can do believable offense against her is maybe the feud we've been waiting to see from Rhea since she won the title. So I'm excited about all of this. Shayna looked great uh, in that uh, finish. So surprisingly, definitely a good for all of this. Yeah. Uh, Later backstage, Ripley got into it with Pierce. She demanded Baszler one-on-one next week because she wants to get the division in order. This doesn't change my expectation of the four-way. My guess is they DQ the match next week, just like they did this week, and then build it over the ensuing two weeks into Crown Jewel for all four of them to fight. They probably do a babyface versus heel tag team match. You guys know how this goes. Um, So yeah, I do think we're ultimately going to get a four-way, and that makes sense for Crown Jewel because really, you want to keep Ripley, Rodriguez, and Nia strong. How do you do that? You unfortunately pin Baszler. So that is my expectation. Do you see it kind of going down any differently for Crown Jewel? I think that's how we get there. Yes. In terms of who gets pinned. Yeah, I'm who not sure. Yeah. I think I'd rather have whoever wins pin Nia Jax. But again, we'll get to that one when we get to the presumed match. Well, I think we would all prefer that, to be fair. Uh, Kofi Kingston fought Ivar in a Viking rules match, which I believe is the first ever singles Viking rules match. Now, we we didn't get the ship, but we did get all the shields lining the bottom rope, and it was false count anywhere as a stipulation, which is what I mentioned earlier. Kofi also had like basketball short style gear. I don't remember the last time he's had that. He had a white Russian leg sweep off the ropes with a flagpole. Kingston then ran Ivar into a shield that snapped. He had SOS. Ivar came back with a spinning power slam and a double underhook Liger bomb. Kofi then flung him off the top rope by his beard, threw a table at ringside, thunderous bump, incredible camera angle. One of the best camera angles any company, any match, any spot the entire year. Uh, Valhalla prevented Kofi from covering by jumping him out of the crowd. Xavier Woods ran down and dodged her into the timekeeper's area, only to get absolutely murdered with a running crossbody into the barricade. Ivar then intercepted Trouble in Paradise inside. He drove Kingston through a propped-up table in the corner and then hit the massive moonsault for the win. These guys don't miss, man. The table spot was freaking outstanding. If you missed it, I tweeted the video because I wanted everyone to see it. Top-tier camera work. Hell of a bump. And Viking rules matches, man, they're so silly, but they always bang. This was a banger. I just wish we got the ship, but that's a minor point. It's kind of awesome that they're building Ivar like this. Completely unexpected because you have Bronson Reed and Gunther already on the same show. But it is great to see him shine while Eric is out. We talk about elevating halves of tag teams all the time and how WWE does not do it frequently enough. He would be a great intercontinental title challenger whenever that changes and a baby face holds the strap. 3.75 stars, B plus, and an obvious good. Yeah, definite good. Like this is what, two or three weeks in a row now where Ivar as a singles wrestler has just been electric and the chemistry with Xavier Woods and Kofi Kingston, just like really good stuff. Now, I don't want to say out of nowhere, but just like I'm into this a lot more than you would have expected when you put it on paper. So, you know, for for a mid-card, lower mid-card type of story, 
I'm in on it. So definite good. Real props to everybody involved in that whole uh, production. Yeah, no question about it. Multiple weeks in a row where whatever Ivar has done with New Day has just completely, completely delivered. Uh, Dragon Lee fought Austin Theory. There was a typical heel promo before the bell by Theory who had some really ugly black and blue tights. Uh, Grayson Waller entered seconds into the match and distracted as Theory hit a rolling dropkick. Dragon Lee had a great counter into a Liger bomb. Dragon fell off the ropes via distraction with Theory hitting an awesome corkscrew flatliner. Dragon came back with an elevated double stomp plus a Topecon hero into both heels. Waller slammed Dragon's head into the ring apron, but as Theory picked him up for A-Town down, Cameron Grimes ran in, takes out Waller. Dragon rolls down Theory for a high stack one, two, three. I was at good for this, even expecting Dragon to take the out. Getting Grimes involved in a story of decent substance when he has not had one on the main roster, even though he's probably going to take the fall in the eventual tag match that they have, that was a nice development. It's impressive how Dragon is popping the crowd this quickly with just his ability alone. He doesn't even really have a character on the main roster yet. And by the way, he has officially been moved to SmackDown. He should probably be on a separate show from LWO. But I'll tell you this, if Legato Del Fantasma ever turn on Ray, Dragon would be a ready-made partner. So like I said, this just delivered. And this was a low-car type of segment but they crushed it. Yeah. Uh, Dragon Lee, like fun wrestling. I just, I'm just kind of whatever on him right now. I just kind of want to get to know more. I didn't know his brief NXT run and all that kind of stuff. So just, it'll take some time, but, but that was um, pretty fun. Otherwise also, yeah, Dragon Lee being on the SmackDown roster, I assume that is not to make up for Jey Uso going to raw, which we never got that trade compensation back the other way. Um, so yeah, this was, Fine. I'm 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 into Austin Theory and Grayson Waller like together, as we've said multiple times. Gets the most interesting either of them have been on the main roster. So uh keep that going. And this was a very light good. All right. DIY sat down for an interview with Wade Barrett earlier in the day on Monday. Uh, Tommaso Ciampa talked about the fans making them a reality as a team. And Johnny Gargano said he's been trying to come back for a while and he believes this is now their moment. Suddenly, out of nowhere, Imperium attacked them pretty viciously, destroyed them, knocked them off their chairs, threw them into wooden lockers. Then later backstage, Candice and Indy checked with Pierce about the guy's health. Um, that deal with uh, Candice and Indy obviously doesn't mean anything. And this is really one of those segments where I would prefer not to give a grade because it's just kind of getting started. So because of that, I'm giving it a provisional good. I'd much have preferred to see this happen in the ring so we could get the fans reacting to Champa and Gargano together. You just had Champa have his best moment on the main roster against Gunther. You need to build off of that in front of the fans. You let them make their entrances. You let fans cheer them. Then you have Imperium attack them, attack them out of the crowd. They get boos and the baby faces get over more as baby faces. It felt mild to me being done in a backstage setting. And like I said before, I wish Candace and Indy were actually involved in the women's segment instead of this segment. Uh, but it also kind of seems, and look, I talked about this for weeks on buymeacoffee.com slash getting over. I've talked about it here. It does seem like the way is actually going to be put back together, which these four Champa in for Austin Theory makes a lot of sense. Um, but so again, provisional good. 
I want to see what's going to come of it next week. I just thought they should have done this in front of the fans. Yeah, and this was also the second interview attack of the night after uh, Shinsuke got attacked by Ricochet earlier in the show. So that kind of jumped out to me as well. I sure. kind of maybe took away a bit of the impact of it. So it was fine, like you said. Like, there's not much to it yet. Uh, I did enjoy the glorious bomb that we got on Twitter from them. So they're they're bringing it all back. We're going we're going back to what twenty seventeen or sixteen <laughs> or whatever that was for sure. Um, eighteen nineteen, I think pre pandemic last couple of years. Yeah, because I, I don't remember. I, I no, it's, I, it's I went 18, to an NXT 19. show here. I went to an NXT house show here where Bobby Roode was like the star. Like back at that time, I just I don't remember exactly. what what time that was it was not long after i moved down here which is 2016 well, so the, well I, bobby Roode got called up way before you know way earlier um he was up for a couple of years before he got injured um but i remember gargano champa the blow-off match unfortunately was one of the first cinematic matches during the pandemic in, in 2020 uh so yeah. that puts their feud rivalry at 2018 2019 um but yeah regardless it's going back a number of years and the fans need to catch up Hopefully, WWE creates some video packages reminding everyone what happened. Those years tells their story a little bit more on TV. Triple H usually pretty good about that. And obviously, he likes both of these guys. I think they will go back and tell that story. But they kind of just touched on it briefly here. But again, I just wish it happened in front of the crowd. Uh, speaking of backstage and, and surprising types of segments, Ludwig Kaiser got an individual vignette saying his competition was not only WWE superstars, but works of art like the Mona Lisa. He called himself an A-plus specimen. This was pretty random, and I hope we actually get one for Giovanni Vinci as well, because the ones that he did in NXT were superb. But let me state two things. Number one, this was well done and it gets a good. Number two, our buymeacoffee.com slash getting over subscribers heard in a prior news report that Kaiser was a favorite backstage and in line for a push weeks ago. So there you go. Yeah, this was good and and deserved. Like it was all true too. Like he's always just stood out. He's extremely tall and fit and good looking, good hair and and everything like that. And he he works well with Gunther, but sometimes he feels like a lackey. So like kind of carving out his own space for him to kind of do his own thing at the same time, I think only elevates everybody involved. And just kind of a reminder, hey, this guy may have lost a bunch of tag team matches or something recently to to further Gunther storylines, but like he's a reason you need to pay attention to him still. It was a good reminder and uh, I enjoyed it. And lastly, we had Unholy Union, which got another witching vignette saying the curse of the women's tag team titles would continue until they get what they want and deserve. Realizing Halloween is coming up, I wouldn't be surprised if they actually run the program and maybe even change the titles later this month. I'm not overly fond of Kaylee Ray Alba fire being stuck in a team because she's so super talented. She can be a massive success as a single, but look, maybe they run with it and make it work. Just like I said with DIY a bit ago, provisional good because nothing has really happened yet, but I'm glad they're getting TV time. Yep. Uh, Seems fine. Halloween, by the way, is a Tuesday, so it won't overlap with the Raw or SmackDown. Um, and we'll see. Uh, just so everyone knows, NXT is doing a two-week Halloween Havoc special on the 24th and the 31st. So that is the way WWE is celebrating Halloween. But Chris, 
you know, uh, doesn't have to fall on the day for WWE, at least historically, to do a special holiday episode. Uh, we, If it's a Thanksgiving opportunity or a, a Christmas opportunity, and don't forget, Triple H does come from the Vince McMahon School of Booking. Uh, there's going to be a match with candy or pies or pumpkins or, you know, something's going to happen in this holiday season. We're probably going to get three of them, right? Halloween, uh, Thanksgiving, and Christmas. That's just how it always goes down. Folks, that was the good, the bad, and the ugly this week which leaves us with our final segment of the show, The Last Word. So DJ, take the needle and just drop it on the record. What? We gon' have a speed poppin' in a second. Uh-huh. That's why we always save the best cut last to make the scratch and mix for it like fresh cut grass. So Cameron G wrote in via email. He said, I loved your guys' conversation about Pizza Hut on the instant analysis. I agree it's fast food pizza, but I like it anyway. What are a couple of your other favorite fast food orders, any type of food. Now, he did not provide further context for this, Chris, but I did when it came to us, you know, building this segment. Fast food, I want to clarify, does not include what is called fast casual. So that would be like Chipotle or Five Guys, anything with like counter service where you have to walk up and there's no drive-through option. For fast food, let's talk about actual fast food. So I don't eat a lot of fast food. Let me be very clear about that to kind of start. But I certainly do have my specific orders. So maybe we just go back and forth. I don't know how many you wrote down. I'll read one of mine and then you can go and we'll just kind of go back and forth. I'm going to start with Chick-fil-A because this is my most standard order and it's the thing that I will always get as often as I can go. Uh, Spicy chicken sandwich. You have to get the spicy with no pickles. Chick-fil-A sauce, uh, large fry, With the fry, you use honey roasted barbecue, half sweet, half unsweet tea, either fried nuggets with Polynesian and sweet and spicy sriracha mixed together, or grilled nuggets with more of the honey roasted barbecue. And the only other thing I'll say about Chick-fil-A is their honey mustard is also very good, but I don't use it as frequently as everything I just mentioned. So there's my first one. That is my standard Chick-fil-A order. I, I did. I didn't write down like full orders. I just wrote down a handful of things I specifically like outside. Like I'm not creative or, or special with a lot of my orders, but I wrote down a couple of the things that I like. I'm near the top of that. The Taco Bell Crunch Wrap Supreme. Okay. Um, something that is always a go-to there. Uh, if you want to go back and forth here, that's just that was well, the one I had. Go go read a, go read a couple because I yeah that so the rest of mine also are not full orders. The Chick-fil-A one is. So okay. the others are just individual gotcha. items. So why don't you read a couple of so, yours? Like so, something I always got to get when I go to these places. Taco Bell Crunch Wrap Supreme, a Frosty from Wendy's. Uh, if I'm going to if it's McDonald's breakfast, it's the sausage McGriddle. Interesting. OK, uh, for sure. Uh, anytime I'm, I always get McDonald's breakfast when I'm on a work trip for whatever reason, I'm usually up earlier and mm-hmm. I'm driving and I always it's always a place that I stop. Uh, and then I, this wasn't um, it's not food, but McDonald's Coke and Taco Bell Mountain Dew out of the fountain. They're just different. They're okay. just different than any other place you can get a Coke or Mountain Dew. Always got to get those when you go there. So and I am going to state this one. I don't really don't go to this place often at all, but Burger King. Rodeo burgers with cheese. It's onion rings, barbecue sauce, cheese. Mm-hmm. Nothing better on a hamburger than that. So I will get those if I ever go to Burger King. Also, the Coke Icy is a must at Burger King. And McDonald's just recently brought that in. So I would get that, I guess, if I go to McDonald's. Uh, so I've actually never had 
a sausage McGriddle because when they came out, okay, I did a look because I always get the sausage biscuit. That's like my favorite thing at McDonald's mm-hmm. for breakfast. I've always gotten the sausage biscuit forever. I remember looking at like the nutritional information, which you should never do if you're going to eat fast food. <laughs> but the differential between the sausage biscuit and the sausage McGriddle was so drastic and stark and surprising that I was like, man, the biscuit is bad enough. So I've never even tried the McGriddle, but I know people love it. I probably should try it at some point. Um, my McDonald's, you know, order, which I, again, I really don't eat McDonald's, but McDouble, no pickles, uh, always get the fries. Of course, McDonald's fries are incredible. Wendy's, uh, frosty, of course, is a must. If you don't get a frosty at Wendy's, I don't know what is wrong with you, but I love the plain baked potato. I think their fries are crap. Hmm. Um, I don't like any of the sour cream or any of that type of stuff. So I get a plain potato uh, with a little bit of butter. I think it's delicious. Um, I guess the other one I can talk about, I'm just trying to think off the top of my head, is uh, Popeye's. Their spicy chicken sandwich is fantastic. Um, I get no pickles on that as well, but that's great. I don't really love their sides. Their biscuits are pretty solid. Uh, KFC is nowhere I go. Uh, Taco Bell, it really is just random. Whatever you know, new things they have on the menu that I want to try or whatever is cheap. I will tell you, Spicy potato soft taco is probably my favorite thing uh, to get at Taco Bell. It's the one thing I get every single time, no matter what. Uh, I'm trying to think what other fast food there is. I, I, again, I, I've had Culver's two times. I really like it. The cheese curds are fantastic. I yes, lo- that's a good one. Oh, God. Culver's the, the, cheese curds. Those are great. Um, I actually don't love their burger. I don't know why. Maybe it just I got a bad one one time. I tried their spicy chicken last time I went there. I loved it. I thought it was great. I heard the fish is really good there. Um, Arby's, I'll tell you a funny thing about Arby's. My whole life, I always thought like the picture on the menu, the beef and cheddar looked disgusting. I come to find out it's the number one thing that people order there. I thought just a regular roast beef sandwich was what people ordered the most. It's actually a beef and cheddar. So I tried it probably eight months ago. It is the best thing on the menu, no question about it. Love the onion bun. The cheese sauce works with it. That's really good. Um, back in the day, I used to love Arby's, uh, the fried chicken sandwich. I haven't had it in a long time. Uh, yeah, I can't think of anything. I'm trying to rack my brain. Oh, Sonic, um, the strawberry limeade uh, is great. Mm-hmm. And their mozzarella sticks are really good, too. That's pretty much where Sonic also has Sonic also has a grilled cheese burger on Texas toast that I really like. like. Is it two grilled cheese sandwiches with a burger in between? Yes. Oh, God. Wow. (laughs) I will tell you. It's good. um, About four months ago, I passed by a Sonic and I. um, I don't know what it was. It was some special like grilled burger. It had like fake smoke flavor on it. I'm not exaggerating. I took two bites. I almost threw up in the car. I I can't remember the last time I've just taken food and thrown it away. That happened there. Oh, I do have two more real quick. Um, Raisin Cane's just opened by me. I don't know if anyone's had that before. Mm. I had never had it up until a couple months ago, but I know it's the menus are pretty much the same, but pretty much the order is no slaw, extra toast. Um, the sauce is good. They also have honey mustard, which is not on the menu. That is very good. And... That's all I got. I'm I'm worn out of fast food. I can't think of that's a lot. <laughs> I know you, you, you went through a lot. There, I was just sure. try, I was just going off the top of my head of what I would order at these restaurants. But 
I mean, yeah, I, I'll throw in I'll throw in uh, Dairy Queen Blizzard as well. Oh yeah, Dairy Queen's great. I I've never had food there ever. I didn't even really know they had. I, food I've had a, one open nearest recently. I got a burger there. It was okay. It was oh fun. wait a minute, you live in Texas, don't you have to like by law talk about Whataburger? Yeah, it's fine. I, I I honestly I like In and Out more here, which I know is kind of sacrilegious, but I didn't even know you had. There it are a that. lot of fancy burgers. There's avocado toast burgers and stuff like that at at Whataburger. I usually just kind of go with the plain burger. I so I I couldn't speak to that as much, but they've got some. They've got all kinds of fancy burgers there as well. Texas is really the best place for fast food because it's in the middle. We've got everything. We've got West Coast fast food. We've got Northeast fast food. Texas fast food. Um, literally everything is here. And so it's, it's, um, you can kind of sample it all, all the different regional flavors of this great country and fast food. I believe technically, if memory serves, the best place for fast food in America is Columbus, Ohio, which I think they, I I think not only do they have, I mean, Whataburger has just got bought, but I don't think Whataburger is up there. No, but I think they have like 90% of fast food chains in Columbus and they all test their, new products in that market yes, if memory that serves. Is true. I, I that remember is true. reading something about this a long time ago. Um that Columbus, Ohio, center of the country, obviously a college towns, so they're working with young people, all that type of stuff. I believe that is the quote unquote center of the fast food universe. But yeah, Texas, you I mean I've never had In and Out before. I've never had White Castle. Um there's a White Castle they just opened in Orlando. I keep forgetting to go every time I'm there. Unfortunately it is nowhere near the WWE Performance Center, it's like 35 minutes away. Uh, so I'm not going to be able to go on this trip either. Uh, but yeah, let's actually wrap up the show because now that I'm mentioning that, I'm realizing I'm actually 15 minutes behind schedule to leave my home uh, to go to Orlando for the WWE Performance Center NXT tonight. Extremely excited for that, just as excited as I was to bring all of you this edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. So on the way out, let's wrap it up with our reminders first that this show is all about Defy. So be sure to head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave those five-star ratings on Apple. Take a little extra time. Leave a five-star written review. If you do, we will read it live right here on the show. Also, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast for episode drops, news, analysis, highlights, all of that good stuff. Please also remember, I happen to love the number... Five. And I hope you do as well, because for $5 a month or 50 for the entire year, you can become an official getting overhead. Just visit buymeacoffee.com slash getting over. Sign up. In addition to the instant reaction audio from all the major shows, you get news posts every single week. And as you heard throughout this episode, we've been on top of a lot of stuff. So please sign up, join. We also communicate and interact with all of you over there. Buymeacoffee.com slash getting over. Thank you, Vintage Chris Vanini, once again for joining today's show. Thanks to all of you listeners out there for lending us your ear holes for Vintage. This is the Silver King signing off and leaving you with just three final words. Bye for now.